0: Welcome back. Don't punt, to Geo. Here's your UNC football podcast on the Tar Heel Blog podcast, hosted by tarheelblog.com on the sbnation.com network. I'm your host, Chad Floyd, after a week hiatus, because real people jobs coming off a holiday, well, they suck. I'm joined by my friend Jake Lawrence to discuss the NC State beatdown and its fallout. Carolina's all ACC performers, the Military Bowl versus Temple, and the absurdity happening on the coaching carousel. Jake, how are you, and where do you want to start?
1: Hey, man, I'm doing great, and uh, I'm just uh, impressed and flattered that you said that I'm a real person with a real person job. So uh, let's just get this thing started and see where it takes us.
0: Fair enough. I was actually referring to myself, but I guess you're probably even more real person <laughs> with a more real person job.
1: <laughs> Fortunately, you know, I, I mean, know. who knows? Real, real, fake, whatever. Just go ahead and uh, and talk about the only real thing that matters, and that's Carolina football at this point.
0: That's right. There is no fake news in what I'm about to start us with. And that is North Carolina 41, NC State 10. Obviously, this was about uh, 10 days ago as we record this. But you did the GIF breakdown. You did a couple other things on the site for uh, the fallout of this game. Jake, that was a lot of fun uh, once we got past halftime. So, you know, just kind of where does it put your perception of the two programs? Because I think there's a pretty obvious uh, way that we can interpret this pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, any rivalry game is never good to get curbed something by 31 points, um, you know. And for anyone listening, that was the largest deficit that North Carolina has defeated uh, NC State since I believe 1996. So uh, it's not a small thing, especially considering how close most North Carolina's games were throughout the year. Uh, and that is really what my takeaway was. More than anything, they went to Raleigh um, against a team that knew that they weren't gonna go bowling, but you always want to ruin your rivals, uh your your rivals here if you can and they knew that being North Carolina would, would keep them from going to a bowl. And they basically rolled over in the second half. Uh and that is more telling than anything else. Uh you know, you can look at last year, you know, NC State comes to North Carolina, North Carolina has nothing to play for and North Carolina forces the overtime. Um the year before I think was also another one possession game. So even in North Carolina's tough years um, or bad years, they still play State tough. Uh, here, State looked like they wanted to be anywhere else but uh, but that field. And I think that that is more telling about the direction of that program than than anything else.
0: Yeah, uh, 2016, you could argue that Carolina came out flat and kind of got steamrolled before making the late comeback. But this was kind of the opposite, generally, of what we have been seeing in the past, where, I mean, State played their hearts out in the first half uh usually though, I mean, at least in the internet era, this has been their Super Bowl. Tom O'Brien famously went five and one. You know, Dave Doran and Debbie Yao are always chirping about something. Um, new Missouri coach Eli Drinkwitz is still chirping for some reason. Um, it was I mean, the word I kept on going back to as I was reflecting on that game was cathartic. It was just cathartic to see Javante Williams bowl over people, cathartic to see Sam Howell throw for 400 yards in Qatar to just kick their asses, man. Um, So it was a lot of fun. And the programs are absolutely going in different directions now. You had um, with the departure of Drinkwitz and Ryan Finley and, you know, name your NFL talent that they never did anything with on the field. Um, Now they have um, moved on from defensive quarter, Dave Huxtable promoted from within, which I find hilarious and their recruiting class is in the toilet. Uh, this is a situation where Dave Doran probably has a last gasp, gasp effort to go eight and four with a win over Carolina next year, or he's toast.
1: Yeah, we've talked about this extensively, especially as it became more and more apparent uh, what kind of shape that program is in. And look, could they rebound? Yeah, sure they could. But here's the deal: you just fired your 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 defensive coordinator who had been there for about seven years. Um, I think this is the seventh year. They brought in a co-coordinator last year to help out for whatever reason. I don't know why they felt they needed to do that. They changed their scheme, and now they're doubling down on that scheme. They got absolutely steamrolled, and they're, they're doing it going into a year when, like you said, their recruiting is taking hits left and right, and they are not able to provide the talent for that scheme. The only bright side for that program that they can look at is, other than the injuries, which North Carolina did the same thing, Uh, a couple of years ago, going into 2018, is that a lot of young guys on the field. So maybe there is a bounce back there. But historically, you look at what their record is against the ACC as a whole, you look at what their record is against the Coastal Division, because they always like to chirp about Atlantic versus Coastal. I think they have a losing record against the Coastal Division as well. Um, And the the majority of those wins are against North Carolina, um, as it is. So there's all that going on. And I think you know, some people have said this in, other, in some other places. It feels very much like North Carolina circa 2017. And it feels like they are going to get worse before they get better. And the thing there is that they have a new AD. The AD gave them the of vote of confidence. You're probably looking at one year left for him to really get it going. And I agree with you. I think seven wins and a win over North Carolina or eight wins is what he's going to need next year. And I don't see how that happens based on the talent we saw this year because um, you have to realize their wins work at, what, Ball State? Um, was it Western Carolina? Was that one of them this year? And maybe uh, was it they, James Madison?
0: Like, they, they they got Horizontal Carolina. They beat East Carolina and Western Carolina, and then Syracuse. Oh, okay.
1: So there, so that, there's two other wins. Uh, the other one, like I said, I think was Ball State. So there's there, there's three wins out of their, what, five four five four four, um, five? Four. Four. So, I mean – it's, it feels very similar. We have seen this play out, um, North Carolina fans have, and I think that that's kind of the direction they're going. Uh, and if I am the, the NC State AD, I am calling boosters left and right, trying to figure out what do we want to spend to overhaul this entire thing. Because if they don't do that, then Mac Brown's about to go on another five-year run the way he did in the 90s uh, and really put State in a position that they never really were able to Regain um, any sort of momentum from throughout the the first decade and a half of the two thousands.
0: Yeah, and just to add to that, you made a good parallel to UNC in twenty seventeen. Carolina loses Seth Luttrell; they promote from within. Um, offensive line coach, whose name uh, Kapilovic, uh, is the nominal OC. NC State did the exact same thing after losing another guy on a head coaching track. I mean, he's an SEC head coach as of today, and. Their offense went in the toilet. Um, Devin Leary made absolutely no strides and he was the third guy. My fear is that they could go in and pull a desperation measure of like one year of Rich Rodriguez and just find an athletic quarterback to give him just kind of a zone read game. And with those running backs, I think that's probably the way they should go. Um, but this is not an NC State podcast. I just got to dance on their graves a little bit because, hey, you're four and eight, you've got one four star recruit, you got guys jumping ship and you suck. Um yeah. It, I, I agree. Uh,
1: I agree on all fronts. There's there's nothing nothing wrong with anything you just said.
0: And speaking of positive trajectory, Jake, UNC has all ACC players. Um there were not many of those on the preseason ballot, if there were any at all. I think maybe Strobridge or Crawford merited maybe third team consideration. But we are looking at a situation where Chaz Surratt Former quarterback. I mean, if you want to talk about recruiting pitch, as a linebacker was second in the conference in ACC Defensive Player of the Year voting. He's a first-time All ACC guy at linebacker. Um, Charlie Heck, second-team offensive tackle. Uh, going, 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 going. Uh, Sam Howell, newcomer New. of the year. He was he was third team on the ACC's official ballot. Um, I would argue that Howell had a much better season than Bryce Perkins. Um. Jake, how how big is it just, you know, kind of to see, I mean, basically first year players getting those kind of accolades and, you know, what kind of impact can it have on the program? You know, I, I, I think just asking the question like that kind of overstates it, but I'm going to let you run with it and try to prove me wrong.
1: Um, I think the biggest thing is it starts setting a standard and, you know, their motto this year is going to be the one. And it's, you know, programs come up with mottos all the time. You know, I think we had uncommon eighteen, and you know all that kind of stuff. The mm-hmm. difference with something like be the one, and, and what Matt Brown is trying to do is provide them a vision and provide them a place they're trying to go and explain how you get there, and it and it, and it builds that ownership within that program. So you're looking at every player saying, "Yo, if you want to do this, you have got to be the one. You got to make the move." And they they've described this all year. Well, when you put four when you put four players on AP All ACC teams and you get eleven selections. Uh, on the on the ACC media all-ACC team, now you have a standard, something to live up to, something to compare yourself to. In the past couple of years, North Carolina really hasn't had that. Um, now you have returning players, except for Heck, um, who's going to graduate and go play in the NFL. You have returning players. Now they have a bar. Now they have something to strive for, and their players have something to strive for. Uh, and I think that's really what it gives more than anything else, at least for this year, uh, because this recruiting class is almost done. Uh, what it will also do, then it helps you gain that momentum for that 2021, and as this, as this year goes on, you can now point to guys like Howell and say, hey, we're going to have him for two years, and this is what this offense can do. You have a guy like Surratt and say he wasn't even a linebacker. What can you do for us, you know, player X, player Y, who's a four-star or five-star that you're going after? And that's kind of what long-term, that's what it gives you. But I think short-term, it gives you now something within that program those players look at and say, all right, that's the standard. Uh, oh, and I was only third-team this year. I'm going to be first-team next year. Now they have reasons to shoot for or goals to shoot for, other than just saying it'll uh, be really cool. But we'll see what happens. Uh, now they know they can do it, uh, and that 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 provides a different kind of motivation.
0: Yeah, and this list is littered with Clemson guys, as one might expect. But you know, really everybody else, kind of as I just scroll through the first team here. I mean, it was a lot of guys that were the names that you expected to see, you know, in the preseason. So to have UNC guys kind of come in and disrupt, I mean, that's huge. And I will I did fail to mention Daz Newsom's uh name to the second team but it you know it does just kind of create a standard and it also creates a proof of concept like you said for Matt Brown and the staff to say you know well Daz Newsom he was a cornerback when he came out of high school uh he was just second team all ACC had 947 yards and eight touchdowns in 11 games if we can provide this kind of positional versatility and you know, get guys into space or get guys recognized, it's only going to just just kind of uh, build upon itself. So, I mean, you know, great returns from year one. I know uh, Al and I, last time we were here, we discussed whether uh, this season could be a success without going to a bowl game. Now we don't have to talk about that. We can talk about the off the field stuff that makes this season a success. So, I mean, th- there's just another um, just another proof positive that a year ago, Jake, you were right. I was wrong. Matt Brown was a good call. <laughs> well, I mean, look—the the, the caveat to all that, though, is he had to make the right hires,
1: right? I mean, we and we said the only way it was going to work if he made the right coordinator hires, and there's no doubt that he did that. And so we won't go down that rabbit hole again. But he's done everything he needed to, he needed to do. Now, the now it's going to be what do you do for an encore? Um, and next year's schedule isn't any easier. But with everyone having an additional year of development, additional year with Brian Hess in the strength and uh, conditioning program, uh, additional uh, an additional year now to to learn the schemes. And and grow into leadership roles. Uh, It's clear they now believe in the staff, and as as long as you can keep the staff continuity, um, I think that's that's really what's going to help. And I got to be honest, when I was doing uh, when I did one of the post game shows for uh, WCHL uh, uh, on the hills with uh, with those guys after one of the games, you know, they asked me, "Is this a good thing that if North Carolina won six games versus nine games?" And honestly, winning six games this year is the much better route to go. Maybe seven games to the bowl. Because we have to keep we have to keep expectations realistic. They're going to lose a lot on the defensive side of the ball, at least up, up along the line. Uh, they might lose some in the linebacking core. That has to be decided. But there's still enough there that you can make a case for seven to nine wins next year easily. Whereas if they had won nine games this year because they had been lucky in a couple of them, it kind of, kind of gives hope. And Matt Brown kind of talked about that earlier this week, about you want to win because you're good. You don't want to win because you're lucky or because there's coin flips, you know. Um, and so I think this I think the team is now positioned in a place to prove that they are good uh and, and to take that out uh, on the field next year.
0: Yeah, and just to look at the coastal picture, I mean Virginia Tech's also recruiting in the toilet. Uh them and NC State have that among many other things in common. Um, Miami you never really know. Virginia loses Bryce Perkins and a good amount of that defense. Uh, Georgia Tech's still building back up to something coherent. So, you know, that there is there's a path there for UNC to be, you know, even if, I mean, like you mentioned with the schedule, UCF and Auburn to start the season is not ideal, but split those go six and two in the ACC. You're looking at, at a nine or, I mean, an eight or nine win team and a possible coastal champion. uh, That would be the logical next step. And that, you know, we've got 10 months to talk about this, but that is going to be kind of my hope and prayer as we go along with it. Um, The biggest thing for me is I'm just, really not sitting here on December 10th and saying, man, you know, this is great, but I wonder if, you know, we're going to lose some random guys to attrition or to grades. Like there's just more accountability in the program and you can see it. You can see it in the players attitudes uh, on the field uh, when they're in front of the media. Um, And just from people that I've spoken to, uh, even on campus, I mean, there's a pride in being a UNC football player. So I just don't see the downside risk in saying, Hey, y'all should win eight or nine next year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, and like you said, we'll go
1: into this multiple times over the next 10 months, but I think that oh, yeah. if you're coming off this year and you're trying to figure out, you know, next or how much should we celebrate, uh, I think the next logical step is you're right, Coastal Championship, eight or nine wins, and I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, provided everything goes according to plan and provided there's no major injuries to any major players. Um, so, you know, that, that'll work itself out, but uh, I don't, I, as a Carolina fan, I don't think you could have asked for much more um, except maybe the Virginia Tech win, um, and that's the only. I think that's the only game. Looking back, I'm like, oh, this is what I really wish, really wish they could have had. Um, but aside from that, you know, you're going into the play a, a winnable game against Temple uh, in this bowl coming up, and you have a chance to win, uh, finish with a winning record. So uh, I think every Carolina fan, regardless of how we got there, uh, would have taken that back on August 1st, and it would not have felt twice.
0: I got nothing more to add, and you just hit me with a perfect segue. We're, we will be right back to talk about Temple very briefly and uh, hit the coaching carousel. <laughs> hmm. Took on some spit there. And we are back. Jake, Carolina is bowling for the first time since 2016. Uh, there was talk of possibly the Sun or the Belk, um, you know, as rumors like to uh, just run crazy for a week and a half they ended up where they back where we kind of started thinking they might end up there in the military bowl. The good news, Jake, they are not playing Navy as we had kind of assumed they would. Uh, why is that important to you, Mr. Army man? Uh, that's important because you'd be playing, uh, basically on Navy's home field.
1: Uh, and they'd be, they would have the home field advantage. They would have their entire, uh, core of their midshipmen, uh, out there. Um, the ones at least who, are, who would be there over uh, Christmas break. I don't know what their actual schedules are like. Uh, but the bottom line is North Carolina would have to travel, Navy wouldn't, and uh, that would be a disaster waiting to happen because Navy is a good team uh, who runs a triple option and does a great job of keeping defenses on the field, uh, and North Carolina's defense is not the deepest. So uh, good news, they avoided that pitfall and instead will play Temple, who is a equal or slightly better team, but a different style that matches better for North Carolina.
0: Yeah, the matchup works out a lot better. Um, basically, just with with kind of some cursory research I've done on Temple, they are basically like an AAC-level Virginia. Um, they are built around their defense. Their offense is not really one that's going to scare you. If we look at common opponents, they beat Georgia Tech 24-2, to 2, which is a fun score. Uh, Carolina won that game by 16 on the road, and that would actually be it. Um, Yeah, I mean, this is a program that really, you know, once Jeff Collins left, you know, they they were on an upward trajectory uh, with Rod Carey in there. Now, I'm not really sure that that trajectory is going to continue. Carey was the guy that replaced Dave Doran at Northern Illinois and just kind of had them hold steady, but were a little bit more inconsistent. I didn't really love that hire at the time, but they went, uh, let's see here, eight and four on the season. Um, they got absolutely smoked by UCF. They got beat pretty handily by Southern Methodist. They lost a random game to Buffalo, and they lost at Cincinnati, thirteen or fifteen um, thirteen. They are just very much your kind of run in the mill defense first program. Um, giving up four point seven five yards per play, only averaging five point four five. I know we aren't going to get too granular in this because we got three weeks to talk about it. But just kind of what is your initial feel for Temple just, uh, you know, based based on just how they played in the MAC or in the AAC. Sorry. Wow. (laughs) Uh, I think you nailed it with their defense first team
1: uh, with, with small offensive principles that have been able to hold over, I think like three coaching changes within three or four years. I mean, they've been through a lot of turnover and the program is solid uh, and and they know what works in that conference Um, with, 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 with teams like SMU and with like Memphis and maybe there's a lot of, I won't say gimmicks, but there's a lot of different styles in that conference. And they have found something that works and it's steady uh, and it's stable. Uh, and that's what you're going to get in a temple team. They're not going to get too high. They're not going to get too low. Uh, and But I think that that could work to Carolina's benefit if they can get up early with their plays that have manifested over the past, you know, the last three or four weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but if North Carolina gets into a, a rock fight the way they did against Cincinnati State in the first half, I don't think North Carolina can pull away from this Temple team uh, if you give them hope. Uh they are they're gonna be able to they're gonna be able to make it dirty. Uh so I think the earlier North Carolina gets up, the better. Um otherwise it's gonna be it's gonna be because what you know, Temple knows what they do well, uh and there's a reason they are they are consistently uh, at least competitive uh within their conference. Uh and it, it's not a bad conference. I mean it's it's a solid enough conference. I think Cincinnati and Memphis were both ranked before they played last week. Navy uh, is ranked. So uh, with three ranked teams, I think it's more than the ACC had. Uh, yeah. So there, it's, it, 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 it's, it's good competition. But North Carolina, top to bottom on the roster, has more athleticism.
0: Yeah, and I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head with the game plan. Uh, Temple is a very aggressive defense. They had 93 tackles for loss on the season. Um their, their opponents, just uh, as a quick comparison, had uh, 56. Uh, North Carolina had 73. So, you know, they're going to be a team that wants to create some havoc. Um, that typically leads to the big play, and they were not immune to the big play. As I, uh, as I said, they gave up 63 to UCF. They gave up 45 to SMU. Uh, that's going to be a similar offense to what Carolina is going to do. So I expect the Tar Heels to get some points, and Really, I mean, you know, their quarterback, uh, Russo, is turnover prone. As we sit here right now, I'm thinking that this is like a 10 to 14 Carolina, 10 to 14 point uh, Carolina victory. I saw the first uh, bull predictions on ESPN come out and they had Carolina 30 to 21. So that kind of jives with that. But, you know, it's definitely not a situation where you want to go in and overlook an opponent. And, I really doubt after uh, three weeks and after all this team's been through that they will. But I'm just going to throw this quick number out there. Quincy Roche, he's a junior defensive end. He had 18 tackles for lost 13 sacks. Maybe figure out a way to game plan around that guy and otherwise go to town. Yeah, uh, I would I would agree with that. You, you find a way to – some teams want to avoid a,
1: a, a team strength. I would say in this case, I don't think Temple was deep enough Across the board to, to where you can, what I'm saying is they're not deep enough to where you can't attack their singular strength on defense uh, and and take that away from them. Um, and however that is done, uh, I would I would look at North Carolina doing uh, taking the chance with the other with the rest of the team and just attacking him uh, as best as possible. That's isolating, uh, isolating him, putting him in, in in poor in poor matchups. You know whatever it is. Um, I think that uh, in a conference like the AAC, you can get away with one or two dominant players, um, but against a team like North Carolina, that's more difficult when you have the when you have that athletic disparity, uh, and you need a little bit more uh, across the board. So uh, you're probably right about that, but I think North Carolina has the horses to, to to mitigate that.
0: Yeah, this isn't the heels going up against uh, Jadavion Clowney back in 2012, where the rest of the South Carolina defensive line also ended up playing in the NFL, and you know you double Clowney and everybody else has a big day. Um,
1: so right. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> exactly.
0: To, I'm not going to invoke that kind of fear in anybody. Uh, the last interesting note on Temple, and this is going to be my attempt at a segue. Manny Diaz, he was the head coach there for maybe like a week, and then he took the Miami job once Mark Rick suddenly retired. Nothing quite that absurd has happened in the coaching carousel here in 2019, but my goodness, Jake, it has been a little bit of a wild ride. Um, we got to start with Lane Kiffin, right? Uh, I don't think
1: there's any place to go but Lane Kiffin.
0: Yeah, uh, Lane Kiffin.
1: Go ahead. All right, so he's he's at Florida Atlantic. He wins that conference two years in a row. Uh, he's on a radio show. Someone asks him if he's going to be the head coach next year. The audio drops out, so there's no answer at all, which makes it sound like he's avoiding the question. Uh, they come back, and they apologize, and they say, oh, the audio dropped out. Our bad. He actually answered it like this. Uh, and then 24 hours later, he's going to Ole Miss. So, like, that was the start of the coaching carousel. Uh, and I think that probably very um, – a great way to start it off. And I don't think it could really start any other way uh, in other than the most Lane Kiffen way possible. Um, so, you know, good, good for all Miss for taking that chance. Uh, I am interested to see how this unfolds because I am, I am not a Lane Kiffin uh, fan for multiple reasons. So uh, I'm all here for
0: the show. Yeah. And most impressively with the non-answer to that question is they went out and beat UAB in the, uh, in the title game, uh, forty nine to six, I, I had a decent uh, little parlay that included FAU losing that game, just based on the, you know, the old oh well, the coach is leaving us, so we're just gonna mail it in. Um, yeah, it did not work out so well for me, and I at least I knew it early, but gracious alive. Um, yeah, Kiffin at Ole Miss is a situation that is either unmitigated disaster or works out really well. And if it works out really well, he's probably taking the next job. So I don't really know where the win in it is for Ole Miss, except they are going to be square, squarely in the limelight for the next year and a half because Kiffin is, if nothing else, fun. Uh,
1: he is absolutely fun. He's a walking headline waiting to happen. Uh, and here, here, if I'm Ole Miss, here's my thing what is Kiffin's endgame? And you, and you mentioned that he's probably going to look for another job, and there may be some truth to that. Uh, but you cannot convince me that his only care right now is to get back at Nick Saban in the most diabolical, uh, high-visibility way possible. And so if you're Ole Miss, you have to understand, you're, you're bringing a, a guy who likes the limelight, doesn't shy away from it, uh, might be a little bit misunderstood, but is also going to be probably a pain in the ass 75% of the time for multiple reasons. And then it's probably going to leave for the next highest paying job or the next high profile job. As soon as he proves that he is the heirs of his ways from Tennessee and USC. Um, there's a lot of variables in that, that if I'm on this, I'm not sure I take that risk. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it is going to be so much fun to watch. Oh, so I'm here for it.
0: Yeah. And you know, I, I think there, I think this is an old Bill Connollyism, but, you basically, in coaching hires, want to date the opposite of your ex. Uh, Matt Luke was a really safe guy. You know, he's the native son, you know, real nice guy, nice family, everything. Lane Kiffin is the absolute opposite of that. So, you know, Ole Miss is setting themselves up to where they can hire a nice little seven or eight win program disciplinarian after this. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and just say it. I think Kiffin will beat Alabama at least once in the next four years if he is there for that long. Um, yeah, I would I don't, agree with that.
1: He, I mean, he, he's going to recruit. He's going to bring in talent. Uh, I think I think his problem at Tennessee and at USC was he never stayed around at either place long enough to really see his vision through. Um, and you saw what happened at FAU after he had more than two years. Um, he, was able to, he was able to kind of build some stability and, and, and sustain some things there. Tennessee, he chose not to stay there, if I remember correctly. And then USC, he got fired because he couldn't meet expectations. Um, so he's often his own worst enemy, uh, but he's going to be who he is, and so it, it's going to be it's going to be a show. But I think I think they're, they're going to be able to knock off Alabama at some point before he leaves.
0: Yeah, uh, the fact that Ole Miss people went to the tarmac to um, to greet him basically, and his quote was, "Well, this is better than last time I was on tarmac." Uh, that <laughs> that is extremely he's nothing, endearing he's not self aware. Yeah, he is definitely that um just for those, you know, who have better things to do in their lives. Uh USC famously fired him on the tarmac leaving uh Tempe, Arizona. But man, just uh I don't know. It's with Kiffin, you you either love him or you hate him. I love the idea of him and you know would not want him coaching my team is the best way I can put that <laughs> diplomatically. But I would I think but it's very the, fair, yes. Yeah. yeah, but you know, he went in year one with um, with Kendall Bryles, who I'm betting is going to be his OC at Ole Miss. Um, they took the they took that conference by storm. For some reason, I can't make myself say Conference USA. I got I kept on thinking AAC. No, that's not right. Um, then year two, they kind of had a step back uh, once Bryles left and they lost a lot of talent. And then they bounced back again. So, I mean, you know, I think he's shown some coaching acumen here. So it's going to be. Interesting, if nothing else. Uh, we touched on it a little bit. Eli Drinkwitz, for some reason, like Dave Chappelle, player haters ball of UNC, as for whatever why I don't know. Um, he spent his one year at App. He got out, and he is now the head coach at Missouri. I think this is going to be a complete bust, and that's not because strictly because I hate the guy. Um, how do you feel about Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri? Uh. I think Missouri is stupid, stupid beyond all
1: measure. And in three years, I may eat those words, but you're looking at a guy who, uh, one, I don't, his ties to Missouri aren't for recruiting purposes.
0: Uh, he did okay. And then
1: okay. So he's from Arkansas. He spent the most, he spent the past, what, five years in North Carolina, give or take, um, after he was he was at OC for NC state for how long, two, three, four years. and uh, App state, four Three years,
0: years. Cause it, yeah, it coincided completely with the Ryan Finley era. So NC State for three, yeah. App for one. Prior to that, Boise State. Okay, so he's been around a little
1: bit, but he doesn't have any ties in Missouri itself. Uh, even though he's somewhat familiar with the region, uh, he he rode Ryan Finley to 18 wins and zero fourth and zero fourth quarter comebacks uh, in in two years. Um, actually, three years for Finley. Uh, he went to he went to App State, filling on a great roster that Scott Scatter that Scott Satterfield built. Uh, and then rode that in a, an otherwise weak conference with a team that had already won multiple conference championships before he arrived. Uh, he beat North Carolina, and South Carolina this year, and good on him. But neither of those teams right now have a winning record uh, or or above 500, which is about right, right where App was when Satterfield left. Anyway, so it's it's hard for me to look at this and wonder what was the rush to go get this guy who has proven not who has not proven to be able to build a team, sustain a team, and or even beat clemson um so how are you going to go up against the the mighty behemoths in the east and the west of the of the sec i don't get it um it it feels like it was a convenience hire because they felt they had to get someone in before the recruiting signing day in three weeks Uh, and i think that it's going to end up backfiring pretty aggressively Uh, and i am here full of that as well
0: yeah uh i'm i I became a big missouri hater overnight but you you basically said it all. I mean, Satterfield left App State for Louisville and he leveled I mean, he takes a level up in job status and he levels up Louisville, taking them from 2 to 7 wins. Eli Drinkwitz steps in and he levels up from OC to head coach. The defense for App State took a massive step back. The program management, you know, was kind of iffy in that regard with Ted Roof as the DC. And I mean, frankly, you know, they did not beat their rival. They didn't beat Georgia Southern. Um, they really, I mean, every time I watched them, I just said, you know what, this team's just getting by on leftover talent and not really anything special schematically or otherwise. I just, man, I'm I'm just selling real hard on it. And like you, I mean, if we have to eat crow on this uh, three years from now, you know, we'll get together and we'll eat it together. But man, like, just. Gross.
1: Uh, <laughs> gross. <laughs> that,
0: that,
1: that's the right word. To look, at. this is not sour grapes over App State. North Carolina App State is a good program, uh, and, they, and they clearly doubled down, and they won, I think, was it 11 games, 12 games, and lost one. Uh, yeah. But, when you, again, when you look at where they come from and you look at their history, uh, that, none of that none of that success is new. It wasn't overnight, and it wasn't built by him. Uh, and so credit to him for not screwing it up this year. Uh, but realistically, uh, when you look deeper, I, I just don't know what's there unless Missouri felt like they couldn't get anything else. And that's possible. Um, you know, that, that's has deeper issues other than just the athletic department that have been going on for since Gary Pinkle quote unquote retired. And we can, you know, no need to go into all of that, but, uh, it, it, it looks like, it looks like a panic hire or a convenience hire more than anything. I uh, mean, anyway, look good for him for getting paid. He's going to be set up for a long time, uh, even if he only those three years and gets fired there. Uh, but I will be, I will be surprised if he makes it past four years um, or has more than two two winning two seasons with winning records there.
0: Yeah, and the Tom Allen firing was kind of a panic firing because I mean, this was a team that was declared bowl ineligible uh, prior to the season. They kind of fought that back and forth, and then the season went in the tank. About the time the NCAA declared. You know their final ruling. Hey, yeah, this team's ineligible. So I, you know, I, I thought they were a little. But no, you that's why I'm not an AD. I guess. Um, while while we are in the SEC, we'll just touch on it real quick. Sam Pittman, uh, former UNC offensive line coach of yesteryear. Um, he's been at yeah. Georgia. Yeah, he he's been at Georgia for the past three years as an offensive line coach. Um, was very well liked there. My hope as uh, you know, the also Georgia fan is that without with Pittman out, they just go ahead and completely overhaul the entire offensive staff. I don't think it's gonna happen. Um this is just a get back to competence hire, right? Yeah, I don't see how this is well, he's sixty years old and this is his first head coaching job. I,
1: I don't see this I think he's sixty. This cannot be a long term. This is a this is if if you're Arkansas, this is the opposite of a stepping stone hire. This is what you're doing just to Get some sort of back and then go, go go try to make a splash higher in, in, in three to five years. Uh, I don't know how this how this helps them uh, long-term. Uh, short-term, though, uh, where this hurts is potentially North Carolina's recruit engineer, Colby Criswell, who is from Arkansas and, and now may entertain offers to stay home in Arkansas. So that's why that one is interesting to me, uh, because before that was not going to happen. Um, but now it's a possibility. Uh, But as far as the the hire itself goes, uh, that is, that is interesting. And I don't, I don't see how Arkansas is can do anything better than get to 500 with, with a hire like that.
0: Yeah. For me, it felt like a situation where they're kind of trying to go with the Dabo system and let Sam Pittman come in, be CEO, recruit, and, you know, kind of do that without much credibility really to lean on, you know, similar to Dabo here 10 years ago. Um. It all depends. I mean, this is very much like we said about Mac Brown this time last year. All depends on who he hires. Uh, Chad Morris, the former Arkansas head coach, is now the uh, OC at Auburn. That actually worries me more about the Criswell situation than does the Sam Pittman hire. I mean, you know, both Missouri and Arkansas, they're kind of the outliers in the SEC. Both of these just feel kind of uninspired. And you know what? They are teams that generally I'm not tuning in to watch a Missouri-Florida game anyway. So. Whatever. <clears throat> uh, that's a good way. I mean, look, yeah, it, it's whatever. They are
1: not inspiring, and they both feel like hires just to get them to sort, some sort of stability so they can, they can splash off something better uh, later on. Uh, so, you know, enjoy mediocrity. It's why you're Arkansas, Missouri at this point.
0: Yep. Uh, real quick, I nailed Jeff Scott to USF like a month ago, so I'm going to give myself credit for that one. Uh, That brings us to the most relevant one to the North Carolina Tar Heels because it is in the ACC. It is one of the name programs in the ACC. Uh, Willie Taggart has been out for about a month and a half, and Florida State got their guy. I say with an asterisk because there were a lot of other names bandied about first. And Mike Norvell from Memphis, uh, AAC champion. Pretty damn good coach from what I can see. But, you know, unlike what Drinkwitz did with Scott Satterfield's team, I thought Norvell took memphis to another level from where justin puente had it before he left for virginia tech thoughts uh
1: at a minimum he maintained and there's a case to be made that he he sustained that and he took it up a
0: half a step yeah i think that's
1: fair uh and i think that's why it should be impressive uh in and of itself uh and i i don't hate the hire uh, but like you said it was also way down on the list and they had months to to look for somebody um so i'll be interested to know what he do long term there and you know it, Anytime you go down to that level, you don't really know what you're going to get. Uh, and, yeah. And credit – you know, and take someone like Virginia Tech. Credit them for, for their turnaround they had this year. They deserve that. They bounced back after what looked like they were just about to give up on life again. But they're still struggling to, to maintain players there. They're still struggling to recruit. There are deeper issues there. And it's a different kind of level. And Virginia Tech, no matter what they want to think, ain't Florida State. Uh, and – I, it's it's hard for me to see anything other than a three to four year minimum build at Florida State when you consider they're in Clemson's conference, Florida is resurging, Miami is hurting, but Miami's also always gonna get talent because they're Miami. Regardless of what they do with that talent, it's a different conversation. Um now you got Mac uh uh back in North Carolina. Jeff Collins is gonna do what he can at uh at uh, Georgia Tech. I think there's enough coaching blood and enough competition that Florida State, they not going to be able to walk in. Uh, and are they going to be patient enough with, with Norvell? And can Norvell also set the expectations accordingly? Taggart's biggest problem was he came in and said, there's nothing wrong here. We're going to win right away. Well, there were a lot of things wrong there. And there's even more wrong now. So can you set the expectations up to buy you an extra year or two if you need it? Um, and that is what I am, I am more curious about than anything. Uh, because anytime you go to the G5 level, uh, it is uh, – it's really a crapshoot. And you can say that at any coaching hire, but it's the spotlight is always on you a little bit more a little bit more intensely when you're stepping up to that P five level.
0: It is one hundred percent a crapshoot. Um I, I don't think I could have said it any better myself. Um here's what kind of differentiates Norvell from let's say a Larry Fedora or even a Fuente, is this is that Norvell lost a coordinator or two every year to promotions to the P5, to the same job um, in a power conference. Excuse me, that is heartburn because it is uh, late in the afternoon. and I'm very hungry. Um, but even like uh, his, his offensive coordinator from two years ago went to Auburn as the OC. Uh, he just hired him back to Florida State. Uh, there are numerous other um, names that he has pro- propelled into bigger jobs and you know, he's got a pretty solid little coaching tree for a guy who's never coached outside of the G5 level. You know, this is a guy who, if he can identify coaching talent and then let that manifest itself on the field the way that he did, either maintaining or building at Memphis, whichever way you want to argue, you know, that, that would appear to be a home run. And the fact is, Florida State, while paying Willie Taggart's buyout, he's not going anywhere for the next four or five years. So he can you know, he can say, you know, we are the sisters of the poor. We're going to win two games next year and just kind of ride it out as he builds that program back.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point about the coaching, about the little coaching tree uh, that I had not considered. Uh, and if you're a Florida State fan, uh, that gives you optimism. Uh, and if you are a Florida State non-man, if that's a word, uh, then you are going, huh, maybe they uh, maybe they got it right this time by going, quote, unquote, outside the in North Carolina seen on basketball before, how that can work when you try, to, try too hard to stay inside a family. Um, the biggest thing for Florida State, though, is that he has proven that he can maintain and or build a program, and that's what they need. They don't need a, they don't need a one-hit wonder or like a tagger who just kind of rode hot talent one year at a time in different locations uh, built yeah. on the back of his predecessor. Uh, and I think that was the mistake.
0: Yeah. I thought you repeated yourself there with one hit wonder and Willie Taggart, um, but I guess drink, which would have been the same thing. Um, Jake, what do you have coming to com over the course of this week? Uh, because man, uh, basketball has kind of gone in the dump since last time we talked, but I know you're trying to figure out what's up, uh, what to fix there.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is the time of year we like to do more views for basketball, but it's all over the place that it's, it's really hard to figure out how to, how to attack it. So uh, I'm switching gears a little bit and uh, I don't know if anything else the rest of this week right now, but next week with signing day coming up pretty soon, uh, you'll start seeing some, some pre, some pre signing day uh, articles uh, that kind of recap the class and and all of that kind of like we do uh, in preparation of, of what should be a top 20, if not a top 15 signing class when it's all said and done.
0: Well, you know, you and I are going to come back here to talk about it. Um, as for me, I've got something coming on Friday. I don't know what it's going to be yet. I'm thinking about maybe launching a Tar Heel blog, uh, Reader's Bowl Pick'em contest or something. So if I run out of ideas, that might be it. But I got some things floating around, man. Um, in the meantime, y'all go ahead, leave us a five-star review. Uh, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We do have a couple new ones to get to. I will get to those next time. Uh, thank you guys for entering the Ohio State Ticket Giveaway Contest. And... Uh, most of you for actually doing it some people just took a screenshot of the reviews that were already there until next time keep it locked and go heels